Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. I'm your host, Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good. And so I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. Uh, if you have uh, been listening to this uh, podcast for a while, you know that we are just inches from the end and uh, of, of this book that I've been reading called Shell Game. And just, this is the part of the story that my mom calls the run, where um, you really can't put the book down. I'm putting intentional pauses in the show so that you just have to just gut through it. But, um, you know, this is the part of the book that when you're at like three or four or five chapters away from the end, you're just, I'm staying up and I am reading this until three in the morning because I got to get to the end of this book. Um, and that's sort of where we are. If you are new to the show, then how the show works is in just a moment, you'll hear a chapter from the aforementioned uh, book that I have written. And we've been going through chapter by chapter. Uh, this book is called Shell Game, and it is a detective noir fantasy-ish book. And um, we will read chapter 33. And on the other side of that, go into some of the how the book got written, what was I thinking uh, when I wrote that uh, kind of Easter egg laden kinds of things. And if you are someone who likes to know how things get made or what is in the mind of a, a writer when uh, they put the stories together, this is a great uh, show for you. However, we are getting into chapter 43 of a 45 chapter story. So uh, I will point you to the show notes uh, where you can find the episode number where chapter one of this story is and uh, not uh, catch you all the way up with what is going on. If you are uh, have been listening to this um, up to this point, it's getting good. And so we now get to all the all of the or at least a lot of the bad guys are out of the room. And now we've got to figure out what to do to clean up the mess that has been left in uh, Evan's hands. And I think you're going to enjoy this chapter 43, uh, which we will listen to after we listen to this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by Showdown in the Yukon, the first book in the Pearl Saga. It is a story of Monterey Jack Danvers, who is a reformed pickpocket who is hired by his old partner in crime to help rescue a uh, stolen gold claim up in the Yukon Territory for a widow. He also finds the widow's daughter quite attractive and that helps him go on this adventure that takes him on uh, stormy seas, through caves, through forest fires and being hunted down um, in forests and all kinds of uh, great adventure. And the big question is, Will they be able to uh, rescue this gold mine, uh, this gold claim back from the evil man who uh, took it from this poor widow woman? And then what kind of man does Monterey Jack Danvers turn into by the end of, of the story? It is also the prelude to uh, Shell Game Part 2 of the Pearl Saga. And you can find Showdown in the Yukon at Amazon.com. You can also find the links uh, to that over at BrianThomasCrop.com. Chapter 43. 
As soon as the door latch clicked closed, Evan rushed to the telephone. His fingers quickly and deftly circled the rotary until all the numbers were dialed. At the same time, he saw Claire trying to make a quick escape from the apartment. Evan grabbed her by the elbow and held on tight. He looked hard into her confused eyes and said, Where are you going? And then, into the phone, Evan Gold for Lieutenant Abrams. It was not long before he said, Yeah, Steve, it's me. I've got some leads for you, but you've got to make hay. There's a woman just left my apartment, a dead ringer for Lauren Bacall. She's the one killed Charles and the train conductor. She worked for this guy. <laughs> you know what? I never got his name. Anyway, he's dressed all in black, has a silver eye patch over his right eye. You'll need to watch out for him. He's slippery, to say the least. The man's also traveling with our Mr. Huber. That's right. The three of them plan to blow town, so you'll have to move fast. They all just left my place. The woman's supposed to be good with a gun, so be careful. She's loaded down with several of them. Sure. He hung up the phone and let go of Claire. Have a seat. You and me are not out of the woods by a long shot. He guided her to the chair the man in black had been sitting in. Claire looked at the chair and then, with confusion on her face, slumped wearily into it. We don't have much time. The police will likely be here soon and I need to get my wife to a doctor, Evan said. She waved him off. She'll be all right. I've seen him when he gets angry and vindictive. Believe me, if he wanted her dead, she'd be dead. Evan looked over at Catherine, who had fallen asleep. You can appreciate that I'm going to get a second opinion, he said, and sat on the sofa opposite her. Regardless, we need a story to tell the police when they get here. I've given them a patsy for the conductor and Charles, but there's still one murder that I need to get clean of. They're going to ask a library of questions, and they aren't going to stand for the same runaround we gave them the last time. What's worse, and I think you know this, there's a lot we can't say or they'll put us in the paddy wagon. Evan stood up and started to pace the room. I'm so confused how you got attached to these characters. Patch and Huber hired you to go to Colorado and get the pearl from Plum. Is that it? Claire moaned in her chair. It's all over now, Evan. Can't you see that? I just want to sleep. Evan grabbed Claire by the shoulders and shook her. She cried out in pain. A look of surprise and confusion covered her face as she looked at him. Listen, precious. We're still in the thick of it. Your future and mine are tied together right now. Don't go soft on me. We need to work together on this. Yes, fine. No, Claire said as she wrestled her shoulders out of his grip. They didn't send me to Colorado. I was in Colorado already. Jason knew Harold. Harold offered me the job. High risk, high reward. So, wait. You worked on Plum together? Claire looked again at Evan. Yes, well, no. Can't we stop? My head is throbbing. You're going to tell me the truth this time, Claire. Which is it? Yes, we were, or no, we weren't. Claire sighed and rubbed the skin near her hairline. Harold was looking to do a double cross. Unnerving how I found out. It was clumsy. Smash and grab, then run away like no one had thought of that already. You must believe me. I had no idea the pearl was... What was that? She looked to the spot where moments before Lillian had stood in radiant glory. So much light! She tried to squeeze the memory of the past few minutes from her eyes. All we knew was it was a priceless pearl. Nothing more. Nothing alive. You have to believe me. She looked at the upturned coffee table and the pearl dust scattered over the carpet. All for nothing. Come on, Claire. Go on, Evan pressed. I found out about the double cross. I started to see that I was about to get cut out of everything. So that's when you involved Charles to keep things honest? Evan asked. Claire nodded. So Charles was, what, accountability? An insurance policy to make sure everything's on the up and up? Honor among thieves and all that? 
No, we figured if Harold was going to double-cross us, we should double-cross him. We made sure we kept his grubby hands full with something else. Something else? We made it look like he robbed a store. The police occupied him while we made our move. Claire smiled at the thought of it, and then her brows shifted from a memory of something. She looked back at the table of dust with sadness. Jason and I had talked about making a fake. We'd seen the pearl once, and Jason said he knew a guy who could do it on the quick. The idea was to keep the real pearl for ourselves and give the fake to Harold. We decided in the end not to do that plan. I can't remember why. But I guess Jason went with the plan anyway to double-cross me. Then... Evan asked. Claire wiped away a tear. It was my job to lift the pearl from Plum. He gave it to me easily enough. People can be so gullible sometimes. I showed it to Jason. In the morning, I guess he made the switch while I slept. The next day, I met up with the railroad man. I worked out a deal with him to bring it here on a certain run on a certain day. I knew I couldn't trust Harold, and I thought I could trust Jason but you can never be too careful. However, I knew I could trust myself. Always look out for yourself. That's the number one rule, right? It seemed like the best plan. I thought I'd seen every play. So what, you and Charles take different trains here to throw off the scent? Claire nodded. Didn't want to be seen together. And we wanted to be hard to follow, so we took different routes. He arrived a few days before me, the conductor a few days after that. By the time I left, our boss was in town, breathing all kinds of threats to Harold and me. I didn't want to risk more than necessary, so I escaped a little ahead of schedule. Old eye patch scared you, did he? She gave a small, cynical laugh. <laughs> I knew if he found out what we... Her voice trailed off, unable to finish the words. When I arrived in Athens, I knew all I had to do was lay low, bide my time till the train arrived. I also needed to find where Jason was in case our boss was able to get to Charles and cut me out of the deal altogether. She looked at Evan. That's why I asked you to follow Jason that night. Evan, his face like granite, said, Don't lie to me, sister. You had Charles wrapped around your little finger the same as you've had men tied up your whole life. Trust me, I know men. Once a sucker, always a sucker. You wanted Charles out of the way before the train arrived. Simple as that. Why should you share the profits with the likes of him? It wasn't like that, she said. But I'm not far off, Claire sighed. <sighs> I knew Jason was in trouble with a previous employer. I, I figured if he felt like he had a tail on him, he would get spooked and split down before the train arrived. So you pointed out Gabe to him, Evan said. Claire looked at him with tears beginning to fill the rims of her eyes. Don't play my emotions. Gabe Silver was no saint but he was a good detective. He certainly was good enough to avoid being noticed by the likes of you two. Someone had to give him up. She sniffed and nodded. Yes, I told. I pointed him out to Jason as we walked. Oh, Evan. Oh, Evan, my stomach has been in knots this whole time. Ever since it happened. Please forgive me. You must forgive me, Evan. I didn't think it would go that way. I had no idea Jason would kill a man. Claire sobbed and buried her face in her hands. Evan placed his forefinger under her chin to lift her face. With a wry smile, he said, Well, if you thought he wouldn't, you'd be right. Claire looked confused. Charles didn't kill Gabe, Evan said. What are you saying? asked Claire. The police said, Listen, 
As I said, my partner was no saint. No matter what public opinion is, he was no saint that he was smart enough to have his guard up on the first night. He certainly wouldn't have been so dumb as to stand in the open on a deserted bridge with his gun in his holster and his coat buttoned over it. I don't understand, Claire said. What are you saying? You were the one who came into our office all dolled up telling us Charles was a dangerous and immoral man. If that was his impression of Charles, there's no chance he follows or chases Charles onto Memorial Bridge, and there's no chance Charles could get the jump on Gabe. However, Gabe Silver was a man, and almost every man is just foolish enough to let his guard down around a pretty face, especially if that pretty face tells him he's her hero. Especially if she's the one who hired him in the first place. I mean, why should you have your guard up around your client? Around you? Claire's eyes suddenly went wide and Evan laughed bitterly. Oh, yes, precious. Gabe was just foolish enough to step into that trap. You could have gotten as close as you wanted before putting a bullet in his gut. A bullet from the gun that you stole from Charles' room earlier that day. So did you see that coming? Huh? Did you? Or have I been, I guess, giving that away the whole time? <clears throat> the, the whole of this uh, run of this book on this podcast, I've been saying that Claire Porter is a liar. I didn't know. Every time I said it, I'm like, mm, am I giving things away? She really is just, just a way deep down in there. She's just a liar um, and the bad guy and the whole thing, um, which as I've been talking recently about the ties between um, Shell Game and Maltese Falcon, that is this this is that moment that's really weird to me about the Maltese Falcon because it's called the Maltese Falcon. You focus the whole time on the finding of this black bird that's supposedly jewel encrusted and covered in this black lacquer. And then uh, it turns out that the bird is fake. And then you watch all the bad guys leave and you forget that the whole thing started. And the whole reason that Sam Spade is, is doing what he's doing is because his partner got killed uh, very early in uh, the story. And then you find out that it was um, in the Maltese Falcons case. It's this uh, gal Bridget O'Shaughnessy, I think is her, what her name turns out to be by eventually. Um, except that she is actually a love interest of uh, Sam Spade, or so we're led to believe for most of the thing. And then you find out basically he has to turn uh, his sort of girlfriend over to the police. Um, so where that translated over to this story, I knew that my bad guy had to get away, but um, well, I guess in Maltese Falcon, everybody gets away, which we'll, um, we'll look at a little bit, but, um, in Maltese Falcon, all the bad guys sort of, they get out of the apartment, but then they all essentially kill them, kill each other off stage. And so when the police find them, uh, everybody is dead. Uh, so there is no more finding the Maltese Falcon. It is like, um, the, uh, Ark of the Covenant at the end of, Later, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it is there somewhere out in the world, but nobody can find it kind of thing. And, well, except we think a Russian guy has it. Anyway, doesn't matter. In this one, I knew I needed my bad guy, the, the eye patch guy, to actually get away. And so um, this sort of sets up 
what I hope to be book three, which we'll talk about either here in a little bit or in a future show about what the plans are for that. Um, uh, but I, I did in re-listening to this, I, I was at least somewhat amused that I think this is the first time in the whole book that Evan says nice things about Gabe. Uh, the, the whole book, he's been talking about what a womanizer he was and kind of, um, a loud um, jerk and they were going to break up the business partnership at some point in the near future anyway. But this is the first time he says that he was a good uh, detective and that he was a better detective than what Claire gave him credit for. I thought was kind of uh, heartwarming here at, at near the end of the story. Um, I also um, found it interesting that Claire is so in her world and she is so convinced that her take on reality is correct that she refuses um, to admit what's really going on and still thinks that even though all of her cover is blown and anybody who might be able to protect her is out of the room, she still thinks she might be able um, to pull on some heartstrings on Evan and get him to take the fall uh, for what's going on. And how I had initially written this story um, was a... So Evan was married to Catherine the whole time in the first draft. And this is part of why I think uh, my beta readers didn't like Evan as much was he throughout the whole thing is really playing uh, Claire. So... As I read Maltese Falcon, I kept wondering exactly at what point does Sam Spade know that Bridget is the murderer of his partner? And the more I got to thinking about it, the earlier and earlier in the story, I think he actually knows. And he's just trying to give uh, Bridget enough rope to hang herself, so to speak. And so I kept thinking, does he know, does Evan know that um, Claire is Gabe's murderer pretty much the moment it happens. Like as soon as he puts all the things together that uh, Gabe was sort of out in the open, he has his gun in his holster and all these things. Um, does he pretty much get that she's the most likely candidate to be um, the murderer and then is just stringing her along the whole time? Um, I, I've, I've wondered that exactly. And I think I tried to throw some, uh, doubt in there from time to time. Like he thinks maybe he knows who it is, but maybe not. But in the initial draft, we keep Catherine kind of off stage more than, um, in this version of it. And Evan keeps trying to play as if he has been duped by Claire. And so there's more of a threat of a romantic relationship between Evan and Claire, which then in, in this moment uh, gets kind of um, where he pulls the rug out from under her and it's kind of this cruel joke. And as I was reading that to beta readers or they were sending me feedback, it's like, we don't like that he seems like a womanizer. That That's not cool at all. And um, particularly a lot of the folks that um, I think read my books are parents <laughs> who want to read something um, 
to their kids. Um, and that was weird that, you know, a guy that they knew and is a pastor and is a family guy is now writing a very tense, you know, like, how is this relationship going to land? Cause it doesn't seem that moral or right or anything like that. And, he, and, um, Evan does not seem like a good guy in the middle of that because he's not exactly two timing his wife, but it's super close. And, um, so I took all of that out because I was uncomfortable with it too. It just seemed like it was more in line with Sam Spade than what was um, fitting for this particular story. So I had to change that aspect of um, Evan's character um, that he's never giving any uh, ounce of um, emotion back to Claire. And yet uh, she still thinks that she has an in on his heart and can still pull those strings. Um, she really is deluded in the deepest of ways. Um, similar to the uh, episode we did a couple weeks ago where chapters 39 and 40 just kind of seem like they go together. This chapter in chapter 44 also seemed the exact same way, but I'm not putting those together because I remember uh, way down in my memory of this moment <clears throat> um, where I had watched the original Star Wars in the movie theaters. Yes, I'm that old. And I was thrilled as peaches when um, Empire Strikes Back came out. I'm like, oh, there's another one. I'm so young. I have no idea that sequels are a thing. And we go see it. And there's this moment at the end of um, Empire Strikes Back where, and I, this is a huge spoiler, and I'm going to explain my side of it, um, but it's been out forever. So if you don't know this by now, I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, you've got Darth Vader has Luke Skywalker dead to rights and, um, you know, he's cut off Luke's hand and all this stuff. And, you know, he says, you know, Luke says, you killed my father. And Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father. And Luke goes, no. Um, and I remember at the age of seven, I think, when Empire Strikes, came back, Strikes Back came out, I thought for certain that... Darth Vader was lying. I didn't even take it as a shocking statement where he says, I am your father. I think now it's one of those moments where you try to capture someone who's never seen it and try to get this look of like, what on their face. But I'm like, he's a bad guy. Certainly he's lying. I, I never even thought that he actually was Luke's father. He was a robot in black. It didn't make any sense to me at all. So then to find out in, in uh, Return of the Jedi that, nope, <laughs> really is. His name's Anakin, and there you go. Um, uh, but you're still, and I didn't know that there was a rhythm to the Star Wars movies yet because it was just the second one that had come out, and it was three years in between uh, what is now Episode Four and Episode Five. That it'd be another three years before Episode Six. I just thought, okay, well, we're done with that one, and whatever. I, I wasn't even good at reading the scroll at the beginning of the movies to know that we're in the middle of a longer story. So um, I guess this is my way of saying uh, we're now going to be in that 
it's only a week for you if you're listening to this uh, when it gets released. Um, but I want you to sit with the idea that uh, Claire Porter uh, killed Gabe Silver. And um, <laughs> it's a long way around to say we're going to do uh, chapter 44 next week. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, please tell your friends and neighbors about it. And if you like what you're reading, uh, point them over to BrianThomasCrop.com, where you can read all of Shell Game there for nothing over there on the blog. You can also find links to all of the books over at Amazon.com. And uh, until next week, it's like nail biters. How did this all come to pass? We will get to chapter 44 next week. Until then, I hope you have a great week.